Pulp MX Network production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Kiefer Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things motocentric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Kiefer Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. Thanks for clicking on our podcast. How are you guys doing? What's up? I am Chris Kiefer, and welcome to the one and only RockyMountainATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by FXR Racing and Racetech. So if you guys want to do some shopping, go to RockyMountainATVMC.com because they are the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, ATVs, and street bikes, low prices, unparalleled customer service, and free three-day shipping over 75 bucks. It's so easy to see why you guys should be going over to KieferInkTesting.com right now, the new and improved KieferInkTesting.com. Click on that Rocky Mountain banner and then continue to do your shopping. And what that does is helps us out on the back end and gives us a slice of what you're purchasing and really does keep this thing up and moving and lets these guys know that you like this show. So thank you that you guys are doing that right now. I can see that. So thank you very much. And you guys want to go get a discount code over at fxrracing.com. No problem. KKMX35 will save you some dough. That's right. Save you 30%. Get you the best gear out there right now. Helium, Revo are some of my faves. And that new LE is out right now. So make sure you get your hands on it. And there's going to be more limited edition drops available right now. If you guys just watch San Diego Supercross, the Military Appreciation Night, there's some of that gear out there. So you can get that. That's very limited. But go check them out. Use the code, save yourself some money, let me know how you like the gear. And Racetech, Racetech.com, if you want to get a better suspension package or engine package, visit the guys over at Racetech.com. Email me, chris, at keyforinktesting.com, and I will get you in contact with those guys and get you a discount and get you a better running motorcycle. I just did a Husqvarna FC250 build for RacerX today and had Racetech on the AER fork, and holy crap, uh, I think I'm going to write an article about that because it really opened my eyes to what these guys can do with air forks. So uh, thank you to the goes, um, those guys over at Racetech for helping us along. And also we want to welcome a new sponsor for 2022, Fast Company. You guys aren't familiar with Fast Company, you can go see them at fastco.com. Man, they make some quality stuff. I just got uh, a spoke torque wrench. If you guys do not know what that is, man, go check them out. It's a foolproof spoke torque wrench. Uh, basically, go around your spokes and your wheels and just click, click, click. It's already preset to the determined spoke torque setting, so it makes it super easy, really nice to do, and uh, easy to use for us idiots out there that uh, sometimes don't like to tighten their spokes and wonder, hey, is my wheel true? Um, you can check it out and know what else they do make. It's cool. I wanted to talk about So I get a lot of emails, but it's, hey, man, I changed handlebars. And I can't reach or get to my fork clickers on my forks. Well, they make a special tool that's flat that makes it easy to adjust your clicker settings. So if you want to know anything about FastCo, hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com. I can get you in contact with those guys over there and get you a discount code. Easy to do, and we'll be talking about more of these things that they're selling right now, and uh, they're coming on board for 2022, so thank you. And, of course, everyone else that comes on board, Works Connection, Power Motorsports, Ride Engineering, 
Pro Taper 6D, ScreenPrintingDone.com, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Zach over there, help you refire your house, Blood Lubricants, and Robert Kong over at Mission Imaging, 909-433-0575. Some of you guys have been getting MRIs over there and uh, are stoked on Robert. So, uh, yeah, go visit him. He's a good dude, and he makes it easy to get an MRI. All right, so we split these two shows up today. I really wanted to go in-depth with a couple of uh, respectable motor engine builders, what I like to call hop-up shop. You're looking to make your bikes faster. Uh, these things are a dime a dozen, especially around Southern California. And these two guys, the two gentlemen that I use, and you heard, you always hear me talk about them, Chad Braun at XPR Motorsports, and you know the guy, Twisted Development, Jamie Ellis, uh, these two guys I trust with my bikes, my test bikes, my son's bikes. Uh, there's no two better guys around in Southern California to build engines, ECU tuning. But I just wanted to geek out with these guys for a couple hours and talk about uh, engine building, what you guys should do if you want a little bit of a modified motor. Uh, we'll talk about ECU tuning. We talk about uh, oils, what is preferred, what they like, um, some myths, all different kinds of things within this podcast. So if you're a motor geek like me and you like to geek out and be really techie, man, I had to break this up into two episodes. Uh, one um, is Chad Braun, which episode one, and then episode two will be Jamie Ellis. And, uh, man, you can sit down and just really relish how smart these two guys are. So um, it's a really fun episode for me to do. I try to do something a little bit different this time and bring some more uh, techie advice uh, to you guys, the consumer, because I know there's a lot of questions when it comes out to building an engine, especially on two strokes, four strokes. Um, both of these guys come from a long, long line of uh, gentlemen in their history about working on motorcycles, and they've been passionate about dirt bikes for many, many years. And it's funny because both of these guys are very close to each other in Marietta, uh, not too uh, far down the road from one another. And uh, once you guys listen to both of these shows, you can see how different these guys are. Each one has a different perspective on things. Each one has a different personality. And I enjoy both of them, man. So uh, I wanted to reach out to these guys. And hopefully you guys out there can get uh, a little perspective on what each one of these human beings are like. Especially you need a trusting guy when you build an engine. Like I'm sending my engine to some dude, I want to know exactly what I'm getting, but more importantly, who I'm having do it. I want to trust that guy. I don't want some snake oil salesman trying to upsell me on a piston or a cam or you need this or, hey, this OEM rod isn't in good, so I need to get you a different rod. Um, we talk about all that kind of stuff, and the reasons why some of these engine builders get bad names or they're not trustworthy uh, we, we dive into all different kinds of things. We dive into dynos, like what's the deal with dynos and the charts and the reasons why they need them and the reasons why I hate them. And so I'm kind of like the human dino. So we, we go over a lot of different things, and hopefully you guys enjoy these different types of pods. I enjoy doing them. Um, if you have any feedback, chris at keyforinktesting.com. Hope you like it. And uh, here's episode one, Chad Braun. All right, guys, we have Chad Braun from XPR Motorsports. Like I said in the intro, I wanted to get, you know, the guys 
that are behind the teams that you may not know about. You see Vince Freezy ripping hole shots lately. Um, and we can we can make a whole podcast about Vince. But uh, Chad Braun from XPR Motorsports, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. So Chad and I go back a little bit. Um, as you guys know, you guys listen to this podcast a lot. There's two guys that I really go to when it comes to engines, ECU. One of them's Chad. One of them's Jamie. Um, Chad has done he is he is direct if i could put this lightly he is directly the guy that makes my yamaha as good as it is is that fair to say yeah i mean <laughs> we put in a lot of work that's for sure so it's funny because people are like why do i need a why do i need an ecu when it comes to a yamaha yz450f and i'm like dude you have no idea there's the power tuner yes but there's only so much parameters we can use on that on that app right so uh that's something we're going to cover here in this little tidbit with Chad. Uh, we're going to go over ECUs, some engines that he's been building, uh, as well as some common myths about engine building, and some things uh, that I disagree on, which is dynos. And I know a lot of engineers slash engine builders need dynos in their life, but I want to talk to Chad about that. Um, but I guess we can just rip it off right here, right now. Let's talk about ECUs. Uh, I push Vortex a lot, and just to preface this the show here this part this portion of the show chad doesn't pay me any money i don't take any money from chad i just i find guys that i can trust within this industry and there's honestly it is a small industry but there's only a few guys that i trust and i'm in southern california so obviously i'm not reaching out to the midwest or east coast but within southern california there is a ton of engine builders and it's hard to find guys that not only one can make good horsepower and uh I guess good controllable horsepower, but guys that I trust my life with, my kids' life with. Chad's one of those guys. Um, I was introduced to him. That's got to been three, four years ago now. Yeah, I was with. Uh, I think you rode JB's bike after Vegas 2018. I think I might have rode McAdoo's 250. Were you doing the teams back then when McAdoo was? I was, on? but I. I don't think I was there when you tested that bike. No, but you I, were I believe, doing the engines. Yeah, I was doing the engines. Yep, yep. I've been doing the MCR engines for, well, since they were on Suzuki's, which was 2012, 2013. Holy shit, I didn't know it went back that far. Dude, so one of the best bikes I've ever ridden was Mike's Suzuki RMZ 450 back in 2012. That thing was amazing. It was a monster. That thing was very, very fast. Um, but controlled. Tony always liked, yeah, Tony always liked really fast bikes, but yes, controlled was, was one of the things. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. So let's talk about the Vortex ECU and I guess some of the reasons what you believe in, in the Vortex and what, what are people getting when they buy an ECU? And I, I get this question a lot, Chad. Hey, can I just go buy an ECU and slap it on my bike without getting it tuned by Chad or Jamie or whoever? Does that work? Um, well, we'll go back to why I use Vortex. I've been using Vortex ECUs for a long time. I trust them. I know the owner. I have uh, a direct relationship with them. So if there's changes or questions I have about things that maybe I don't know about, it's a good back and forth. It's a good company. Uh, just all around. They're very knowledgeable. Uh, great product. I can trust it. So that's, you know, uh, like yourself, you, you trust and use products that you believe in. And, and I'm like that with Vortex. So 
for me, that allows me to do a lot of tuning side of things that with maybe other ECUs, I can't. So it, it, it's really good, just opens up a lot of doors. Uh, to go back to, to your question about, do you need uh, one of our custom maps? No, you don't, but you may not be getting everything unlocked as far as what the potential is, what right. can be done with a custom map. Yep. So uh, the maps that are in the standard Vortex come from Vortex and something they've developed over there. Now, they typically map with their fuels over here, over there versus ours, and they are different. So there's always gains to be had um, just from that point of view over what comes standard. Okay. And then also, too, I guess... I mean, guys run different fuels, so you would need different maps for different fuels, correct? Yeah, so, I, I, and this is a question I get asked all the time, is, you know, if I change my pipe, will it, will it change the mapping? The answer is, yeah, it'll change it a little bit depending on, on what the manufacturers are doing to the pipe, but the bigger difference is off the fuel. So whatever fuel you're using can change the map dramatically. Um, so we always tend to be very spe- uh, fuel specific okay. and map to that. Now, can a customer like, cause there's 10 pre-programmed maps within the, the ECU. Um, obviously these guys say, Hey, well, I want to run T4 VP T4 on my race days and I'm going to run pump on the weekdays. Can they go back and forth with that, with that box? If you have a map for each. Yeah, so it's interesting with certain bike models, if you run T4 or you want to run pump gas, the map actually doesn't change because the fuel and the way it works, the burn, it actually, there's not enough difference in the map to go, oh yeah, we need to do a completely different map. But that's not on every bike. It is sort of bike specific and how the combustion chamber is. But if you were to use like a fuel, like say T4 or VP Pro 6, totally different maps. Right. Because uh, the way that they burn and the way they act, they're totally different. Yeah. So, for example, if you guys are listening, uh, going back to the YZ450F, Chad and I worked really hard before Loretta's when I, when I won the, the VET championship in 2009, what was it, 2020. Yeah, 2020. Um, and then we also, the map that I used at Loretta's, I didn't really like for the world vet at Glen Helen. So we went back and, and changed the mapping there. So I bugged, I was up his ass for a long time about changing mapping. And I'm very sensitive on this bike because uh, just what Chad was talking about pro six T four, we tried pro six and it was too much. Like I could not, we could not tune it out enough to where it was too, uh, where it was smooth for me. I needed it smoother. And so we ended up going back to T four and it made that smoother, low-end transition, which I liked. So in the, within the Vortex realm, there's so much to be gained f- versus a stock ECU. Now, OEMs, they're locked boxes most of the time. And they're going to give you a window to protect their engines and keep them reliable. So this is the other question, Chad, that I get a lot. I'm buying a $1,000 Vortex ECU, got some maps. Is it hurting my reliability on my stock engine? I'm, I say no. Uh, and the reason is because when we're doing maps 
for customer base like non non race engines um we we understand that you know okay they're running stock components like valve springs valves and so we keep the rev limits really similar to what becomes standard Mm -hmm. sure you're increasing power in some cases um but we're not changing uh you know any sort of reliability when it comes to that um i guess if you went really crazy with say i don't know ignition timing really advanced you could cause some issues but it's not necessary so no uh it wouldn't affect reliability and i guess that's where you lose the reliability if you're 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 adding you know more over rev to the ecu right so you're you're adding 400 600 more rpm and then that's when you're revving it and that's when damage can happen 100 percent. you know the engine's got to be designed to take those sort of rpms and 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 live you know um you increase rev limit you got to have valve springs that can handle you know the valves and the strain from that so yeah it's uh it's incremental. You know, that's why race engines are so different. When you go to a racetrack and hear some of these race engines, they're just wound out. Well, they are because they, the rev limits quite a bit further than what say a bike, a standard stock bike is. Right. Um, because we can, you know, we can rev them that far. So the reason why I have a hard on for these, these, these vortexes, I only got really introduced to these aftermarket ECUs in like 2017 through my whole career. You know, I've done mapping within OEMs, like on stock boxes for, you know, pre-production bikes. We've, I've done tons of that. But to stick an aftermarket ECU on a bike, I really wasn't um, hip to all this stuff until like into 2016, 2017 when I was trying some Vortex stuff. And I even tried the Get system, which, and I, and I guess I don't want to beat, beat Get up here on this podcast, but I've tried some Get stuff and it was very technical. It was very hard for me to use. It wasn't user friendly. Um, I know they've done some updates, and I've seen that. And still, to me, I don't think it's uh, <laughs> motorcycle people. Chad aren't the smartest people usually. So I want something plug and play. If I need to dial something in, I, I change the dial to map two to map three. It's very very uh, rudimentary, and this is what I like about a vortex box. So. The, the Vortex itself, when I tried this, I was thinking, well, I don't really need more power from a 450. Why would I want to stick a box on? So then I came to the, the conclusion when I did stuff with Chad and, and also with Jamie, like when we did stuff on the 2017 Honda 450, I was like, holy crap, it really helped this Honda out. And then as the years progressed, the Honda was kind of hard to ride, and I was I was talking to you. I go, man, there's no way I want a Vortex because I don't want to make this thing any harder hitting down low and make it harder to ride. Before I went to the Nationals in 2019, what I sucked. But my practice bike that you did for me was insane. It was a stock engine. I had a muffler. I had fuel. And I had one of your boxes on there. And it was so much fun to ride. And then you built us a project bike uh, for Racer X. And that thing was built and so smooth and easy to ride. I couldn't believe how good it was. Yeah, well, what was interesting about that one when we went out and first tested it, I remember the day we were up in the high desert and you're like, you, I mean, you were happy with it. And I remember at the end of the day, I was like, okay, you want to try something with mapping? And uh, you're like, yeah, sure, let's try it. 
And I remember when you went out and you tried what I'd been working on for quite a while, just hadn't really track tested. You came back, you, you took off your goggles and you go, I don't know what you just did, but you just changed the whole character of the bike. How right. did you do that? Yeah. I mean, and, and, um, and not just to let people know, not even just the engine character, like it changed the chassis feel. Like it, it softened yeah. it up. That's what's amazing. Like what you can do with the engine via ECU tuner, you can make your suspension a little bit plusher. You can make the chassis a little bit better. Just how the engine RPMs are delivered. Yeah, well, it's the engine. It's all where where everything starts. Vibration, power, everything. So, yeah, when you control that with the ECU, yeah, for 100%, you can change the, the feel of the chassis, the character a lot. Um, and, and I always say I wish I wish I could bottle up a sample to people and just give it to them to try, but it's so hard to, to, uh, you know, do that and articulate everything that you feel with the bike and, and what can be done. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's endless. I, I call mapping a moving target because we're always trying to make it better. And we, you know, little tweaks here and there actually like your Yamaha. I mean, we spent so much time on the Yamaha, uh, mapping to to get specifically what you were looking for. Hey, it can be done. Just got to put in the time. Yeah, and look at you know Star Racing Yamaha. They're on Vortex boxes now, and it's rare that you see a factory effort on an aftermarket ECU. It's not even an OEM ECU unlocked. It's like they're on a Vortex. They have a guy mapping it, obviously, but it's it's a Vortex box, which is says something about the unit, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean. Factory ECUs in the past have always been like, oh, I need the factory ECU. But um, yeah, I mean, with the Vortex stuff and what's available to us and what we can do, um, man, it's it, it really is endless. And there's so much that can be done. It, it's such a good system um, and worthwhile to do. You just change the whole bike. So for the numbers people listening to this, like what is the most on your dyno? We'll talk about the dynos in a minute. But when you map... And, of course, you have to map it on the dyno. Um, you got to get the right air fuel. And then the gains that you get, which bike has the most gains or most? Uh, what's the most valuable? Like someone's like, hey, I want a box and I got a Honda. How much do they expect to get if they got your map and a box? Horsepower-wise. Well, that's... Yeah, so well, that's the tricky part of what your question is. So when we're talking horsepower, we talk in peak, we talk in overrev, we talk in bottom. So it's it's a that's a tough question to answer um, because sometimes certain bikes you don't need power in certain areas; you want it in others. So um, I mean, generally with mapping, it, it's depending on how well it's mapped from the factory. Um, you can horsepower wise numbers wise you can get as much as one horsepower all the way up to maybe three horsepower mm -hmm. and in some areas like if it's not mapped very well in the over uh, like over rev area there's been times when i've had upwards of 15 horsepower gains holy shit just because it's just yeah just because it's not mapped as good or whatever um, i mean there's so many variables but um yeah i mean it can happen uh, the mapping for the OEMs have gotten a lot better, especially in the last, say, I don't know, three years, four years. Yeah. Um, versus what they used to be when fuel injection was new. So yeah, I mean, gains wise, sure. There's, there's those numbers, but the feel, 
the feel of what can be done is is the dyno doesn't really show that. Um, I just got a new bike. Uh, instead of buying a muffler that's twelve hundred, fourteen hundred bucks, uh, I want to get an ECU. Is that is that feasible? Can I get an ECU instead of a muffler and run a stock muffler with an ECU? Yeah, you can do it. Uh, it's probably the best way to do it. That way you got your foundation, right? right. Got to build the foundation before you put up walls. So, um, yeah, I mean, pipes these days, uh, OEM manufacturers are doing a really good job with, with the OEM pipes. Um, so it's hard for the pipe manufacturers to improve on them. Um, so there's more gain to be had with ECUs and mapping and, uh, you know, and getting the power character like guys are asking for. It's, it's, I'm glad you brought this up because I get this a lot. Like, hey, Kiefer, I'm going to go buy, you know, Pro Circuit, FMF, Yosh, whatever. And it's, you know, it's $1,500. What can I expect? I'm like, dude, not, not much, honestly. Like, if you get, if you get one horsepower, you know, just like Chad said, it depends where it's at on the dyno chart or where out in the RPMs. But if you can get, let's say, peak horsepower, one more, you can get one more, that's a win in the aftermarket muffler world nowadays. It's not how it was 10 years ago. Like, it's very, very rare that muffler manufacturers can make power like stock. People are buying the mufflers for weight loss, looks. It's not really anymore, and not every bike. There are some advantages with with some bikes and some mufflers, but it's not like it was, man. Like, if you put a muffler on, uh, I'm trying to think. uh, Okay, just right now, like with Aiden, KX250, and it runs as good as the stock muffler, but doesn't look like dog shit, and it sounds better. That's a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah, try to no, tell I sure. try to tell people like a thousand or whatever thousand twelve hundred bucks for a, a Vortex ECU versus twelve hundred dollars for a muffler. I'm going towards the box just because I can actually feel that versus a muffler. Well, and on that point too, if somebody. If somebody decides to go and get another bike uh, a year later, they can take their ECU with them, and it's still good and great shape. Whereas a pipe, normally after a year of riding, is pretty hammered and beat up, and have to buy another one anyways. So, um, yeah, there's lots of value in in ECUs for sure. All right, so engine builders in general sometimes get a bad rap. Hey, why do I need it? An engine guy? I don't want to make my bike faster, or my bike's going to blow up. There's some common myths out there that I that I get ran into a lot from from guys. So you've seen engines come and go. From your standpoint, you can build an engine and still keep fairly good reliability. I know there's steps. I know there's different you know um, phases in engine building. But if I'm just an average weekend warrior guy coming in, hey Chad, I want to build my bike a little bit, make it run a little bit better, run stronger but I want to keep reliability. How do we go about doing that as an engine builder? Yeah, well, first off, we have to start at what model, like what bike are they riding? Mm-hmm. Um, we see all the brands. So we, we over years, we get to see like some of the things that maybe the OEMs could be better at and maybe things that need to be addressed. Um, you know, it, it sometimes is bike specific, but, you know, we always want to build reliability in whatever we do uh, because we want people to be happy with what they get and last and uh, be able to enjoy it, not always having it in the shop, getting it fixed. I mean, maybe for a business model, that's not the best, but I mean, we just 
we want to put out a good product and we want to make sure people are happy with it and it's reliable. What do people need to look out for when they go to these engine builders? And if it's not you, uh, I know some of these guys are real salesy and they'll, and they'll upsell you on some shit you might not need. Any kind of rules or, <laughs> or tips you can give these consumers listening to this that mean, hey, watch out for this. You may not need everything that your guy's saying. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the way that I approach that is always uh, safety first. So if we're going to start increasing power in a motor, we want to make sure we address the the weak points. And and so, for example, if we're going to do, you know, a fairly decent mod and we know that, hey, a weak point is the rod, uh, just because we know that maybe an OEM rod isn't strong enough to handle either RPM limit or uh, even hours, you know, we want to make sure we put in a rod that we trust and and make sure it's going to be durable and last. So, um, you know, it it it, it kind of starts there, uh, you know, and then obviously budget comes into play. Right. I mean, we have guys that just don't want to go into engines and then we have guys that, yeah, no, let's, you know, do the full thing. Like, like let's make it fast and reliable, you know. So let, let's say I have a $2,000 budget and I ride a a Honda CRF 250R. Let's just, you know, that's that's easy for you cuz that's what you do a lot of. Uh what can I get for 2 grand and for me to be able to feel it? And let's say I already have Hey Chad, I got a CRF 250R. I got a Yosh muffler on here. Uh, I'm looking for a little bit of a, a a good engine build. I got 2G. What what can you do for me? Well, if they have a pipe, I mean that's a start. Uh second would be ECU. ECU is like we originally talked about. That's that's our foundation. Then from there, we see how far they really want to go in. Like uh, the next step would maybe be porting, which is, you know, relatively inexpensive depending on the bike, um, you know, and it's not going to affect labor or sorry, not labor, um, reliability. Um, you know, we're going to keep that and we work within that. So, you know, Aside from that, we'll look at fuels. Like maybe we can, instead of, you know, going to a crazier build, uh, we'll do, we'll do uh, a different fuel that maybe gives us a little bit more power. But yeah, we can go into porting and, and then piston, and that's typically, uh, you know, pretty basic, uh, good overall build. Um, safe to say they can get a few ponies out of that on the dyno, and they'll be able to feel that right away on the track. Yeah, for sure, it makes a pretty big difference. Um, uh, and pretty well all models across the board, right? Um, it doesn't matter what, as soon as you start increasing the efficiency of the motor, you, I mean, you're going to gain power. Uh, and some, some motors are good bang for buck. You know, some respond better than others. Um, and you do get a little bit more with certain things. But yeah, generally porting, um, ECU mapping, uh, pistons, and then and then from there, after that, you can start going into cams, valves, and valve springs, and bottom ends, and you know. How big is this? Is I don't even have this on my rundown, but I just brought this up. How big is like a transmission tumbling? How huge is that in in the world of one shifting, and number two, engine performance. Uh, engine performance with transmission tumbling is a hard one to really gauge okay. um uh i would say on most 
motor builds, tumbling the transmissions as far as performance. Um, no gain. No gain. Okay. But, but on certain bikes, <laughs> but. Uh, it helps, it helps, it helps the shifting immensely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's some bikes that just don't want to shift very nice. So, for um, example, I'm going to give you an example, and I don't know if you know this or not, and you have done these, but uh, t- 2020, 2021 KTM 250 SXF, difficult to shift from second to third, like very notchy for me. Yep. Yeah, they've always been kind of notchy uh, for a long time, even the older generations. So, yeah, transmission tumbling would absolutely help that. Um and, and, you know, it's because when you're dealing with uh, OEM transmissions, they're, they're, it's production, right? So they want to do just enough where the part is, is good and get it in motors and, you know, they'll, uh, they'll run it. But there's th- like we take it further with transmission tumbling. It's, it's, it's more than that with what we do. It's a three-stage process. So we'll deburr the gears, mm-hmm. which is going to take away any sort of um, uh, stress risers in the material, which is going to help with longevity of the gear. Um, then it's a surface treatment, which is more similar to like a shot peen, um, makes the metal um, a little bit stronger. And then the last stage is the tumbling, which gives it a good surface uh, where oil can adhere to. We don't want to repel it. Um, because we want to lubricate the gears so they stay cool and they're not going to wear out prematurely. So, yeah, like it's more of a durability thing and and a shifting thing rather than a horsepower thing. That's, I guess I never even thought about that. So when you tumble these gears and you make them shiny and slippery, you know, I guess in, if I can picture this, it could repel oil. never even thought about that. Yeah, well, it's just like... I, and I even hate the term. It's like porting and polishing. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate the word porting and polishing because we're not polishing heads. Um, we, we're, we're trying to make things more efficient. And it's like you just said, it, um, we don't want to polish gears because we don't want to repel the oil. Um, there's an analogy I use if anybody's into boats. Um, I'm not really into boats, but I know about it is if you were to polish the hull of a boat where it's smooth mirror finish, it's going to go through the water slower. But if you actually had a crosshatch on the bottom of the hull of the boat, it would go through the water faster because it's creating an air pocket in between the water and the surface of the boat, which allows it to, it's a smoother, um, well, it, it's less friction is what it does. Okay, yeah. And it goes, it goes through it quicker. So, it, it, but it also retains a certain like air pocket between it with like the water still adhering to the hull. Well, it's like gears too. If you have something that's really polished, you ever try to put, let's say on a gear, uh, a drop of oil, you'll see that it beads up and it wants to repel. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't want that. We want the oil to stick to the gear. Hmm. Um, because we want to, we want to cool the gear, not repel the oil. Uh, so we don't, it's the same as ports. We don't polish ports because then what happens is uh, you get what's called a, a wetting of the port, mm-hmm. which it can be a benefit, but we don't want the the fuel and the air to atomize in the port and then beat up and create puddles in the bottom of the floor of the port. So what we do is we actually 
we rough it up, but we're not going crazy rough where, you know, we're creating drag as well. It's, it's kind of a balance. Yeah. It sounds like a slippery same thing. slope. We, yeah. It's tough. It's tricky, but yeah, we don't, yeah, polishing is, I think it works for some stuff, but maybe not everything in engines. Is the, is the Honda Sierra 450 RWE a port and polish? A port and polish. Oh, you, uh, the works edition. Yeah. Uh, well, so I guess the definition of port and polish, the way I look at it is when we're porting is we're changing the shape of the port and we're making it more efficient by looking at it. And I think with that particular head and what they've done is they worked on one specific area in the, in the seat throat area and in the intake mm-hmm. and they changed the character, of the motor quite a bit. And then they've left the casting uh, in the port pretty much unchanged. So would so, you would it be just cleaning up? My definition of it would be more cleaning up. Yes. Yeah. And and they're and they're really touching a, an ultra sensitive area. Right. Um. You know, but I mean, maybe maybe that was their goal. Um. I I don't know why they came up with that, but I mean, uh, it obviously works. Marketing, bro. Marketing. And then yeah, I would agree. It's 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 not the direction I would go with it, but um, yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this is a this is a good one. I recently just took a a, a bad crash for a reason that we will discuss here because uh, I think we should discuss this. Uh, you have bikes come and go in there, new bikes. You crack open new engines all the time. Um. You replace parts because they wear faster on certain bikes. What are like a few things that you've noticed on some machines, um, OEM parts that wear out or should be changed ASAP? So when we get motors, and and keep in mind our like our what we do is we build race engines. So when we tear apart an OEM motor, the first thing we look at is tolerances, and then sometimes. You could take ten engines, and they'll all be different. Correct. Tolerance. Right. Doesn't doesn't matter what manufacturer it is. They all they all have and that if, sort of tolerance. Yes, and if they have good, and I've kind of been a pros, in in this process a little bit through testing, is they have, if they have good QA, they're supposed to be within a spec. All these tolerances, right? And yep. some get through the cracks, like I think which we're about to go down this road. Yeah. It, it, uh it's a tough one uh but this is why you know when we start building motors this these are the things that we look at and that and maybe that's what you know from your previous question that's how we build value into what we do with with engines um and our knowledge base of uh, i mean the the amount of years that i've been doing this and what i've seen over the years um and why i i do what i do uh, is is based off of that you know, so when we start looking at motors and go, okay, well, hey, that's a pretty loose tolerance there. That could be an issue. And then, you know, we see multiple ones that go, oh, well, that's different. Uh, that one's tighter tolerance than that one. And then you start to see like, okay, well, hey, we we know that that is going to be an issue. We need to change that out. In any specific bikes. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. I'm going to bump start this, okay, for you. And then maybe this will snowball into some, into some things in your memory. So... Timing chains on YZ250Fs. 
Yeah, that's uh, they've been problematic for sure. So um, I've been hearing twenty hours. Customers should be changing if you're now. Obviously, people listening. If you're a vet guy and you're and you're not very hard on your bike, obviously the hours will change. But generally speaking, from a normal standpoint, and I feel like I'm that I may be a little bit more than the average guy, but if I was buying a YZ250F, would 20 hours be the safe mark to change out a timing chain? And and I guess I should specify too, 21s. I guess 22 is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, so for us, we'd much rather be on the safer side and change a part sooner than have a bigger failure or getting somebody hurt down the road. So if we know, hey, we've seen this issue, well, like the people that come to us will be like, yeah, no, hey, cam chain, we need to change that, um, you know, because we have seen issues at 20 hours. And, and like you said, depending on, uh, you know, the level of riding, sure, maybe they could get away with it longer. Um, I've had guys that go, I've never had an issue. Um, sure, until you have one. And then it's, a, you know, it's an expensive fix. So, you know, a timing chain, I don't know what a Yamaha timing chain is, maybe 50 bucks. It's it's like worth changing it out to for that assurance. But, um, yeah, no, definitely things like that. That's what we that we look at you know, reliability wise. Anything on Hondas like previously 20, like a maybe from 17 to 21 on a, on a 450 that, that guy should look out for. Um, that, that bike was pretty solid with the exception of when we go to start going and talking about tolerances. We, I did see some rods in the small end bearing, uh, you know, where the piston pin goes through that were a little loose for my liking and could cause issues where, you know, rod could snap if with excessive hours. So yeah, I would definitely be for me, I, I would be more cautious with that kind of stuff. But other than that, that bike was pretty solid. What about clutches on a Honda? Uh, clutch, yeah. Clutch plates, uh, clutch in- plates are OEM. Yeah, back in 17, yeah, I broke some fibers back in the day. Yeah, so what I've seen with OEM clutches and them and breaking is, uh, you know, and, and everybody's different. Like, I, I don't know what everybody's doing. They could be putting in heavy-duty clutch springs and changing the clamp pressure. I'm not sure. But what I have seen is sometimes when you get clutch plates, they're not perfectly flat and and, and mainly the fibers. And what it does is if they're not flat and with all the, you know, the abuse that the clutch takes with the on off, it fatigues the clutch plate itself, the fiber, and eventually can break. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't think that that's it, you know, it can happen when you've got production. Uh, it's always things that when we build stuff, we always look at and check to make sure, okay, this is flat and, um, we won't have issues with it, but yeah, I think then, uh, you know, clutch plates were probably, you know, maybe bent and they fatigue. I know the Honda 250 and 18 had a clutch basket issue, if I recall. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I think that one, um, I, I, with that one, it was just maybe they were a little bit too thin in some areas and needed to beef it up. How are we doing on clutch arms? 
I'm constant back order. I can't make them fast enough. I get emails all the time about, hey, man, I'm ordering a clutch arm through Chad, but he doesn't have any right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's it, they they take a long time to make. Um, it's not so easy to to do. Uh, and this but, is for seventeen uh, to 20, 2020, correct? Twenty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We make a lot of them for sure. Yeah. So if people that don't, I, I, are not familiar with it, I guess I should explain. Uh, I don't even know the dimensions, and I don't think you can give that away. But the clutch arm is different from stock which helps the engagement point of the clutch, which in return gives you a little bit more rear-wheel traction and a, a linear um, delivery when you're fanning the clutch. So there's less on-off feeling. That's what you're getting from this arm that Chad makes. Yeah, with a byproduct of you know a little bit lighter pull, which everybody seems to love. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, we worked on that clutch arm quite a bit, in, like on the racing side of things. And... Uh, I remember, uh, I think I had it in one of your bikes. Yeah, I had it on my practice bike. It. Yeah, yeah, it was good. You tested it, and you're like, man, you need to sell this. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. You think it'll sell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was It was that noticeable for me. And he's right. The lever pressure is way less. Uh, as you guys know, that ride the 17 to 20 CRF 450Rs, the clutch pull is, is firm. And you get this clutch arm and it helps it uh, get you a little bit more buttery, what I like to call. And it helps that engagement point too. So it widens that out a little bit. And yeah, it's just a really good, it's a really good mod for that bike. Yeah. I was, I was surprised with how many people um, love it. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, we, we did it from a racing side of things because hey, we we're struggling with starts and the guys couldn't find that engagement point. So we started with that and trying to figure out, well, how can we get that and, and get it right? And that same part that we sell was what we developed for, you know, race teams. So, uh, Guys rebuilding their engines on their own or just getting their engines done. Where do you stand on OEM parts versus aftermarket parts, you know, from pistons, uh, clutches, Ooh. rods? Where do we stand? And and this is a broad question. I understand that. And I know there's better aftermarket parts than others. So maybe give me a couple people that you like and trust within your engines. But I'm always been on the, the side of if you're just rebuilding your bike, uh, I'm always a huge OEM guy. Like I would stick an OEM piston back in. If I'm not trying to get more performance, I'm just rebuilding. I'm a big OEM guy. Is there something better that I'm not aware of, Chad? No, look, I, I agree. In most cases, OEM is good. And even in a lot of our race engines, we use OEM parts. Um, you know, anytime we use an aftermarket part is when we want to improve on maybe an OEM part that needs to be improved on, like a rod or, um, you know, maybe a piston is a little bit weaker than what we want. And we'll change that to something that we know works. So, but yeah, even for us, if we can use OEM parts and they're reliable, we'll use the OEM parts. Can we um, talk? Can we talk a little know, shit? Hey guys, thanks for listening. Before we start talking some shit, listen to these commercials and get some discount codes. Save yourself some money. We'll be right back. 
ScreenPrintingDone.com. My dream is the world's most powerful t-shirt. Do you want to look good, but you ain't got the money? Trying to get some t-shirts made? Yeah, Go to ScreenPrintingDone.com. This is a t-shirt. You can get anything you want on that t-shirt. I'm about to show you guys how y'all can look fly. Your business name. That's my business. Your kid's name. Oh, Billy. Your favorite phrase, like, let's go, buddy, or free jailbirds. I agree. Anything at all. Screenprintingdone.com. T-shirt printing business. Mention Kiefer on your next order and get 10 free T-shirts. That's what I'm talking about! Screenprintingdone.com. Hey, Kiefer, what oil should I run? What weight should I run? Lots of emails coming in about oil. You know what I choose? Bloodlubricants.com 1040 Pro Series Synthetic Oil. If you guys haven't run Blood Lubricants Synthetics, you should try it. Email Jeff over there at Blood Lubricants, info at bloodlubricants.com. Mention the code Kiefer, get 25% off a case of oil. I run the 1040 Pro Series in all of my test bikes here. It works great. Keeps the engine cooler as well. Clutch life is enhanced and longer. I go through clutches on that Yamaha YZ450F every 10 hours. Now I can go 15 hours. So great oil. Email Jeff over there. Use the code. Save yourself some money. Email me, chris at keyforinktesting.com. If you have any questions about the oil, I'm happy to help. Ride-engineering.com. You guys want to get some clamps, some bar mounts, some chain blocks, uh, brake calipers. Adrian over there at Ride Engineering has a lot of quality parts. And if you use the code KT20, that'll save you 20% off what he offers over there. So that's ride-engineering.com. And he is not only the guy who tests the parts. I mean, I help him as well. But he also has an engineering degree. Holy crap. So go check him out, ride-engineering.com. Use the code KT20 to save some money. You guys out there tweaking on handlebars and grips? Trust me, I do it almost daily. If you're looking for a strong bar but yet has a lot of flex, look no further than the Pro Taper Evo bar. It is my favorite bar out there on the market right now. Why? They have great bends. The bar flexes. I don't get vibration from the bar. I'm getting older. I want some flex in my bar, but yet I want it to be strong. And Pro Taper has the strongest and the lightest bar out there. That actually flexes. So go check them out, protaper.com. I'm currently using uh, SX Race Bend on my Yamahas. There is a brand new bend that's just coming out right now. You guys should see that. It is called Race Team Bend, and that is what we use over on Aiden's KTM and my KTM here uh, in the shop. So protaper.com, they have race cut grips, they have sprockets, they have chains, all different kinds of things. Go check them out, protaper.com. Maybe you're at home or in the car and you listen to the Kiefer Tested Podcast. Maybe you already own a home. Maybe you're looking to purchase. You know what? Rates are down, so maybe you should try refinancing now. I know Heather and I just did. You can pull cash out, debt consolidation, or maybe you just need some credit score advice. Deal with a professional that has been in the business for 25 years, dude. And this guy rides. He's a good dude. Zach Morris. No, not saved by the bell, Zach Morris. He's licensed in California, Nevada, and Colorado. You can call or text Zach at Plum Creek Funding, 720-212-4685. If you guys have any questions about Zach, hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com, or just simply text him yourself, 720-212-4685. Plum Creek Funding, Zach Morris, hit him up.
You guys looking to purchase a new or used KTM, Yamaha, or Kawasaki? Well, look no further. Power Motorsports and Sublimity Oregon is the place to go. Email me, chris at kieferinktesting.com. I will get you in contact with David Sibley over there at Power Motorsports, and he will get you the best deal possible. I'm not kidding, man. Like These guys work wonders over there at Power Motorsports. They will give the best deals to all of my Kiefer Inc. testing listeners. No hassle, no BS, easy to finance, easy to get a bike. And, hey, it doesn't matter if you live in Oregon, California, Maine, Florida. They will find a way to get you your bike. That's right. They work with moto shippers. Easy to get around, easy to ship. Man, it works so easy. I've bought three motorcycles from them over at Power Motorsports, and Moto Shippers have shipped them to me, to my door. It's so easy to do. So go visit them, powermotorsports.com. Email me, chris, at keyforinktesting.com, and I will get you in contact with them. Yeah, you guys know that time punishes you if you're not on top of your game. Look, I'm a competitive guy at 45. My kid is 15, and he is right on me every time we go out to the track. But you know what? You know what takes the guesswork out of who's the king for the day, who gets to talk trash on the way home? That's right. You can measure your lap times. You can reach your full potential. And, of course, you'll never guess where you're gaining or losing time. Go to LitProLive.com. You can email me, chris, at keyforinktesting.com for a discount code on one of their GPS receivers. Getting started is super easy with LitPro. Pick a GPS receiver, download the app, and add a subscription, and then you're on your way to improve your lap times. Get a better result as your, you know, than your buddy. That's right, because there's nothing better than bragging rights when you're on your way home. You throw your guy a text. Who got the best of you, baby? That's right, I did. And you want to know how to do it? Lip Pro. Aiden and I have been on this for about a year now. Super easy to use. Look, I am not a tech-savvy guy, and Lip Pro is super easy for me and Aiden to navigate. And uh, I think it would be a great benefit to you guys out there. So hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com. Go to Lip Pro Live. You guys want to see anything related to how to keep time how to improve your lap times, what section you want to improve on, all those things and more over on LipProLive.com. Thanks for hanging tight. Now back to the show with Chad from XPR. Yeah, sure. All right, okay, what is one piston that you will not use that you don't think is good? Oh, boy, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, I, I'm, I mean, I will, I will say this, and I do not know this – to this day, but back in the day, I would not use Weissco because they called them Seasco's, right? Like that was the 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 deal. I do not, I haven't used a Weissco piston in a four stroke in a long time. But well, in the two stroke era, I had huge problems with Weissco's. Always, always season failing. Yeah, well, some things just don't change, I guess, right? Okay, um, so, so we're there still. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, look, for me, for me, my whole take is. I want to build relationships with companies that I trust right. and um, I can work with and they, they listen to me to what I see and I can work with them and build something good. Um, so for example, 
I, I, I've used JE and Wiseco in the past. And um, for me, I use CP Carrillo. Okay. Um, I have a long working relationship with them. Um, I have helped develop pistons for them for, for their shelf parts along with uh, custom stuff and durability testing. So I've built up a really good relationship with them. So I'm a little bit biased to them only because there's a good relationship. And if there's ever an issue, if I ever have an issue, they're like, well, let's, let's figure it out. They're, they're always on board. And maybe I just haven't had those relationships with some of these other uh, manufacturers. Doesn't mean that they can't do it. It just, you know, I, I, that's what I've based that stuff off of. And of course I look at everything. I, you know, I look at the JEs, the Wisecos, the, you know. Um, Does Aries uh, still me, make pistons? Yeah. Well, I think actually uh, CP Carrillo has take them. They bought that company out and they work under the cp brand so it is an aries piston but now it's a cp branded piston i think it yeah it's so, uh, it's like a sister company they're okay. they're they're separate but cp carilla is bottom out and they've kept the name got it because i remember working at xrs only back when this is years ago chad <laughs> They were selling Aries piston. If you guys don't know what Aries is, A R I A S. That's how you spell it. And those were the pistons to get in the old Honda XRs. Like that's what you ran. And I remember to this day that, like, even when I was doing some race team stuff, like that was a great piston, Aries piston. So I did not know they bought them out. Yeah, uh, CP Carrillo is actually uh, they've grown quite a bit. Pankle, uh, they're also a sister company. Actually, Pankle owns CP. So, oh, I'll be down. Um, yeah, yeah, no. So, and, and, and if people that don't know pa- what Pankle is, Pankle is in pretty much every form of motorsport across the board from Formula One, MotoGP, uh, uh <laughs> motocross, supercross, you name it. Uh, KTM, they're really, really big. KTM rods come with Pankle rods, correct? C- correct, yep, yeah, and, yep. Th- and those and, st- and, cr- and cranks and cranks, and those and are cranks, good cranks, and, right? And, and, and transmissions too. And as far as the name and that rod, let's talk about you know reliability here. So that stock KTM rod and crank is a good stock part, correct? Yeah, it's a really solid OEM part for sure. Yeah. Um, the the Pankle, Pankle has a really they're a top notch company. I mean, you know, you're at the pinnacle of racing Formula One. Um, you know, they, I'm sure they've learned a few things over the years and know what to do and what not to do. And yeah, they're, they produce really, really high quality parts. Um, have we found a rod for my YZ450, Chad? We've got options. Oh, we do. Which I, yeah, which I was going to talk to you about. Um, let's just talk about it on air. Let's just, it, let's just do it. Well, we got, we got options. I, I would like to use a CP Carrillo rod in your bike. Um, they are backordered just like everything right now. Yep. Everything's backordered. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess my, uh, I have three, I have plan A, B and C. Okay. So, uh, what's plan you B? Know, we could plan B would be to go with uh pro X rod, okay. which is an OEM replacement. Okay. But I'm, the I'm... thing is with the pro X, mm-hmm hear me out okay i was about to say with i'm out the, i'm about to the, say i'm out <laughs> no 
with the Pro X rod, the difference between the Pro X rod versus OEM is that they beef up the part significantly more than OEM. Okay. So there, there is a, there's a physical difference. Um, and their tolerances are way better. So from what I know about Pro X, uh, and this is kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's an industry secret or not. I, I this is just what I've kind of learned over the years mm-hmm. and been told. Of, but Pro X is a company, like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A partner company to AR. I think it's ART. ART is the company that makes all a lot of parts for OEMs. Hmm. But Pro X, they basically do uh, a replacement part but under their own spec or a higher quality as a replacement part. So I do trust them and I do use ProX stuff um, in, in certain situations for sure. Okay, and what's plan um, C? Plan C is to use a rod. Um, it's a billet rod with, uh, with a bushing similar to CP Carrillo. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't, I haven't ran it a whole lot, um, but I, I use it from time to time. Who's that? So that's Plan C. Uh, Crankworks makes it. Okay. So okay, so people that don't know what the hell we're talking about here. Uh, So I I just recently had a good crash because on my twenty one YZ four fifty F my rod went through (laughs) my rod went through the engine up the face of a jump at Glen Helen and I just I ate shit bad and luckily. All I have is like a, a couple broken ribs, but as bad as it was, I'm I'm thankful that I didn't get jacked up. I did not know uh, anything about rod problems on a YZ. I ride Yamahas, as you guys know, listen to this a lot on my own time. I if I'm going racing, I race a Yamaha because that's what I like the most. Um, I've heard that there is a heat treatment problem on 21 YZ450F rods. I've heard this before this has happened to me. I kind of just, you know, didn't think much of it because it's never happened to me. Well, now it has. So now I'm rethinking all this stuff. So the people that has emailed me before, but hey, man, I'm, I had a raw problem my 21YZ450F. I'm like, mm, you revving it? No, it wasn't revving it. Or how, what, what oil are you using? You know, and that's what I went to. What oil are you using? Because I've never experienced it, and I feel like I ride a shit ton, and I would have experienced this. Well, now I have. So if you are on a 21YZ450F and you are in between 30 to to 50 hours, I would recommend putting in a rod that we just discussed or buying a 22YZ450 crank, uh, which from what I've heard is they've took care of that heat treatment issue in the 22s. Now, that's not to say every 21YZ450F out there is has a problem. I think there was a batch of heat treatment problems with this, and I just found one of them because my other two bikes that I had last year never had problems. So there are some out there, and who knows which one you got, right? So for me, I told Chad on the phone the other day, fuck it, I'm putting rods in all my bikes because I'm not doing this shit again. So that's where we're at with Chad and I. That's why we're discussing this. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's probably, you know, for us, when we build motors, that's, that's the first place we look at is connecting rods. Um, they're the ones that they, they take so much stress 
Um, and going back to tolerance, you know, we look at the tolerances, make sure they're good. Heat treating is a tough thing. Um, we can't tell uh, unless we cut apart a rod and Rockwell test it if the heat treat's good or not. You know, so it's one of those things that, yeah, it, it can happen and it does happen. Um, you know, it's it's rare. Especially Why does it always with, happen you know, up a face age. of a freaking jump, Chad? Uh, well, typically it's load, right? Yeah. You know, Jeez. you know, anytime it, it can, it can happen in a deep sand section on a flat too. Um, Chad, I've been riding sand yeah, for uh, two weeks before I went and then it blows up. At, uh, I just, I got unlucky. Just very unlucky. I was lucky and unlucky yeah, but, at the same time. It could have, yeah, but the problem could have started when you were riding it in the stance and it just so happened to happen, you know, that, and that's the tough thing with, with that, like, um, you know, for us, so heat treatment, um, usually has some sort of indicator, like it's going to start to go out. Mm -hmm. So checking your oil, like any of our customers that have stuff done by us, we're always advocates. Hey, make sure your oil pans clean when you change your oil drop your oil, make sure there's no metal shavings that are magnetic. Um, if there is, you know, check your, make sure you're checking your oil filter. There's no shavings in there. If there's any in there, that's your, that's an indication. That's something that's not right. Mm -hmm. Um, and stop, stop. And you can prevent a lot of problems before that happens. And sometimes you do get unlucky and it happens while within that interval of oil change, whether it's one to two hours or, you know, whatever the interval is for people um and yeah that stuff can happen that's a good question i didn't think about it what what's some good oil out there for these guys listening what what have you come across that is really good reliable oil <laughs> and, and look at everything that we're talking about everything that we're talking about is very very broad like we only know what we've tried like there's several different oil companies out there and i'm going to tell you what i know from what I've used, and Chad will tell you what he knows from what he's seen, right? So, Chad, what's some good oil? Uh, well, what I consider a good oil is something that's not going to break down with the heat of these motors these days. So, if so, for me, and this is what I say: Hey, if your oil's coming out black, you've either ran it too long, or the oil's not good enough uh, to to hold up to the heat. Well, what, what if um, so, what, so? What's the hour range then? If we're talking like that, then if I'm a customer, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, of course it's going to come out black. It's 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 in the engine. Well, that that's broad too because it shouldn't come out black. It should come out clean unless you've got some sort of or cleaner or a lighter brown color depending on your oil. Um, but it should never come out black. If it's come out black, you've ran it way too long. Okay. So, so what, what's the optimal time? Interval time. I'll, it, it, it depends on rider skill level and how hard they're riding it. Like some guys can get away with five hours running it on oil, good oil, and their oil comes out as clean as they put it in. And then you get a pro guy, uh, like I, the pro guys I deal with, they can, they can put, you know, 10, 20 minutes on a motor and the oil starting to already turn because the heat they're putting into it. So, uh, um, from what I, and I've tried everything I've tried. Well, not everything, but a lot. Um, right now, my favorite is Motul oil because mm -hmm. it seems to be standing up to the heat the best. Um, doesn't mean that there isn't something better out there. 
I know Redline has just recently, I just talked to one of the reps that recently approached me and is like, Hey, let's try some stuff. I'm like, yeah, let, let's see if we can, you know, figure something out. And, you know, so uh, for me, it's, it's, it's based off of that. Um, I don't recommend running cheap oils uh, from Walmart. Um, yeah. What about the, uh, what's that oil? Everybody wants to run from Cragen or something. Rotella. Rotella. What about Rotella? So Shell Rotella, in my opinion, used to be really good. Uh, this would have been probably about five years ago now. Uh, but they had to change their formula because of diesel engines. And that's the it's meant for diesel engines. And there's all different grades and types. Uh, but they had to change the, uh, the, the formula of it. And it's not as good as what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't typically recommend that oil just because there's detergents in it for diesels. What about synthetic and non-synthetic? I used to be a heavy no synthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I changed my mind once I, I was educated more about the oil. Actually, uh, one of the reps from Torco um, educated me quite a bit on different base stocks of the oil, the quality, the grade, uh, synthetics, uh, same thing. So the big thing for me when it comes, like somebody approaches me with a synthetic, first off, my first question right off the bat, does it have friction modifiers in it? If it does, it probably won't work with a wet clutch. So I'm already out. Okay. It, it can't have friction modifiers in it if it's a synthetic. Um, the Motul that we run is full synthetic and we never, ever, ever have any clutch issues. And the reason for the synthetic is for the protection on the parts, you know, your film strength of your oil and, uh, to deal with the heat synthetics, typically deal a good synthetic typically deals with the heat a lot better than just, a um, you know, base stock oil. What about uh, weight? Weight is also uh, now recommendation wise. I always tell people to run what their OEM manufacturer recommends. Oh, look so at that! OEM, so if the K, like for example, if you have a KTM and it recommends a a ten in the two fifty, I think it's a ten forty, and uh, some of their models are fifteen fifty. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second number is your film strength. And that's important with some of these bikes, like the KTM, for example, has a plain bearing crank. So it doesn't have any uh, uh, bearings and needle bearings in the big end of the rod, and it uses oil pressure uh, with uh, plain bearing shells. So a good quality oil with the right recommended oil and film strength is gonna give longevity and reliability with your engine. Hmm. All right. That's what I always tell people. Hey, man, you have that manual you bought with your bike, right? Check that out. It's good to read that thing every once in a while. Yeah, definitely. The, with with the manuals, I mean, most of the manuals will push their own oils. Yeah, but uh, you can but, read between the lines, right? You can you can look at the weights and so forth. Yeah, the weights are the most important part. That that, that is it, whatever the OEMs recommended for weights. There's a reason why they recommend it. Stick with it. Uh, Blood Lubricants as uh, a sponsor of the Kiefer Tested Podcast. Want to throw that out there? Uh, use the word Kiefer 
if you want to get some, uh, I think, some good oil. So there's that. Uh, all right, so uh, well, uh, go ahead. Well, with the blood lubricants, I have actually seen some of the bikes with blood lubricants in it. And I, I don't have uh, like a what I say a lot of experience with that oil, but I want to say when I say experience, like years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen good stuff from that oil, so yeah. Yeah, everything Maybe that I've uh, that... had and you know that I've used and I've used them for a couple of years has been really good. Um, they're really good for me and. I was like you, Chad. I wasn't a synthetic guy. I was a non-synthetic guy because every time I stuck in synthetic in a Yamaha or I've been riding, I was riding a KTM as well, my clutches would slip and drag. And so I would go back yeah. to petroleum-based oil, and it was way better for my clutch. That I had to change my oil out more than I did with you know synthetics, but my clutch life was longer. So uh, I ended up using this you know, the blood lubricant stuff that was synthetic and it was like I was running a petroleum-based oil in my clutch, which I had a good feel and it lasted. And um, like you said, it was fairly clean and I was a three-hour guy every three hours. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fairly good. So that's that's where I'm at over here on this end. Um, dinos, Chad, let's talk about dinos. We've been, and it's an hour in. I know we can do this for three hours, but. Um, I can, I, I could go on and talk forever. <laughs> uh, I, I, you get these media guys or these guys that are on message boards. What's the dyno numbers? What's the dyno numbers? And to me, I don't give a shit about dyno charts. Like you show me some dyno things as a tool for you when you build things. And I understand that because I've been a part of, um, the testing process with engineers come out to the test and they show me these dyno charts and that's what they use to build what they're building and then they, they, we write it, and sometimes these engineers look at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? Look at this dyno chart. And I'm like, I don't care what your dyno chart tells me. I'm telling you what it feels like on the track. I think a dyno chart is cool to look at. I think it's like a, a car accident. You want to look at it as you drive by. But it's not the end-all, be-all of what we as riders feel on the track. Where do you stand on the dyno meter for you as an engine builder? And hold on. And, yeah, look, and uh, at the end of this question here, have you ever built something that you thought was fucking awesome and you looked at it on the dyno and you're like, oh, this is good, and then you went out and tested with someone and they said it was shit? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I do agree with you the way I treat the way I dyno, um, and it's changed over the years, and I've been dynoing bikes for a very long time. Um, I use the dyno as a tool. So, for example, I mean, this this is relatable to you because we've gone out testing. Anything I do before I come to the test track, I've already tested. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a good knowledge base of what it's going to do because the dyno can, can show me things. And I, I have a lot of experience that it can put me in the direction I want to go. Mm-hmm. And then I can bring that to the track and, and we can test it. And, and sometimes it will 100% surprise me and go, wow, that is so out in left field that I'm amazed that that is better or worse, or it did what it did. Um, so numbers wise, sure. I mean, numbers always sell, I guess, motors or bikes or whatever. Um, but for me, it's more about comparing 
apples to apples. So if I'm building a race engine and I'm looking for a certain power character or power in a certain spot, yes, you have to have power, horsepower and torque. The dyno helps get you there. But most times whenever I build an engine or race engine, we go out to the track. That's when the biggest gains are made with the riders in the field, because yeah, you got to use the dyno to map. It's, it's next to impossible um, to do it. Right. You got to have a base, mm-hmm. bring it to a track. And then, and then you start dialing it in and it's amazing. Some of the progress that you can make in such a short amount of time at the track. Once you have that base. Mm, okay. Now, what about dynos and temperatures and humidity and different dynos? So all these numbers are all over the map. Just like you said, apples to apples. I can go take my dyno. I can go take my bike to your dyno and then go take it to Race Tech's dyno, and it'd be two different things. Yep, exactly. So my dyno, uh, I when I bought my dyno, I bought it for accuracy for testing because when I test something. I want to know that I am gaining in the spots that I want to gain and not losing. I want it to be real. I'm not trying to cheat myself. Okay. Uh, I feel like there's other dinos out there that you can do multiple runs and they'll pop big numbers and, and yay, everybody's happy. It's got a big number go track tested. It, it sucks um, because it's not real. Mm-hmm. So my dino reads, I have a super flow dino cycle dyne, and it reads 20 18 to 20% less than say a com- their competitor, like a dino jet. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, a two fifty a stock two fifty F on my dino reads roughly 36, 37 horsepower. Well, <laughs> if you look at the media stuff, like say, uh, you know, they do all these bike tests and they claim, you know, 40, 41 horsepower. That's it's because the dyno reads differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why there's so many different numbers out there. But for me, the way I use the dyno is apples to apples comparison. I want to make gains. I want to see that number. And then that's my base. Have you ever had something good and then wasn't good at the track? Um, yeah, it, it, look, it's always interesting whenever you get that. You got to try to figure out why. Uh, because the dyno is showing you a number, but the feel may be different. And I, look, I've had it, I've had it very often in any bike that I map, any new bike that I map or build a map for, I always test ride it, uh, or in around our shop. I always test ride the bike to see what the feel like is a, for like that a, reason. Like a drag strip test, like a Tony Alessi test down the street. No, nothing like that. So <laughs> <Okay>. what I feel, <laughs> I think I, I'm not quite sure how he does it, but he, I think he measures, I think uh, fence post to fence post or something like that. I, I don't know. It's some that's probably uh, what it is. It. It's got to be a marker somewhere in the des that like he just gets it. Or he, I mean, he used to do it at the track when then when he had the compound, and it was the the length of the parking area. Yeah, and and really that all that's really measuring is is maybe acceleration and yeah okay a little bit of power but for me when I test ride it and I make a change it's no it's what's a little bit different than being out on the track but what I'm looking for is feel so one one thing that you and I talk about a lot is connectivity mm-hmm. right 
I can feel connectivity when I go and just ride it out by the shop when I make changes because I can make a small change to the ECU and go backwards and know it and then go, oh, well, that's what that feels like. That's horrible. And then go back. Oh, okay. Yes. No, that is better. Right. The dyno can't tell me that because the, the drum on the dyno is 450 pounds. So to get the small detail of what that feel is, is really difficult. Hmm. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, man, I've just had over the years, I've had drama with these engineers and KTM and Yamaha and some Honda things. It's like, man, it's just, I don't care what the dyno says. I know you guys got to use it, but I'm giving you what it feels like as a rider. And that's what is going to sell your motorcycle is what it feels like. Cause that'll get around, you know, like, Hey, this Honda does this or the media magazines tested. And, uh, yeah, the, this was the bike feels like they're not testing it on the dyno. We're not having a dyno shootout, you know? So I don't know. Just well, like I said, I mean the, the the way that I approach it is that I use it as a tool. Yeah. Whenever I go out testing, I already have my base. I already know what I want to try. I've already worked on it, and then I bring <clears> that <throat> to the test. We go, okay, we're going to try it. And look, how many times have I gone out with you over the years, where you, you've said time and time again, he's like, man, I can't believe the difference we've made from the beginning of the morning right. to the end of the day is mm-hmm. unreal. Right. It's totally changed the bike. Yep. Yeah, right. quite a few. And there's also been times where I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And you give me this look. Right. I give you the look and you go <laughs> in confusion, in confusion and go, well, how can I, how can I achieve that? And, I, you know, I have to think about it and go, maybe go try a couple things and then I'll come back and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's right. Okay. That's the direction. And maybe the Yamaha was probably a good example of that. Yeah, it is. Um, I think you even made me ride the bike once up in the high desert to see. You were like, see, see what it does. <laughs> yeah, I did do that. I remember that. And it actually helped you. <laughs> no, it did because, um, I mean, I put telemetry on, on you at one point and then I went and I rode it. I think, I don't, I can't remember what happened first, but yeah, after I rode it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. We can fix that. That's easy. Because sometimes, you know, that, that throttle position you know, when we're talking mapping, what it, what it feels like when you're riding, it maybe feels very different than what it is. And I, maybe that's one of the advantages of, of what I can do is like, I'll figure out, okay, where is that spot? What mm. throttle position, what RPM? And then, okay, that's, that's where we need to be. And that's where we fix it. And and you can do it with telemetry. It's just, uh, sometimes with telemetry, it's information overload too. Right. That's true. That's true. All right. So Vince Freezy, Freezy, Freeze, however you want to say it. It's Freezy, but we're going to say Freezy. Ripping starts. Honda looks good. You're the man inside that engine. And what? here's the thing, man. No one's even saying anything about, like, I've seen post-race interviews. I've seen how was your weekend. Steve's talking to him. No one says anything about Chad. Actually, I take that back. I did hear one time Vince said you did. You've been doing a lot of work, so I did. I do take that back. Vince did stick up for you one time. He says, "Hey, man, Chad's been working his ass off on this, and this is one of the the better motors that I've I've had in a while." You, you say Steve? St- Mathis did, did like that, a, yeah. Um, yeah, he yeah Steve. I don't know. Uh, he he yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, I hear, I've heard, I've heard a few interviews and I've met, I've heard Vince say it one time, but like, dude, 
that's a big part of of the race. There's two parts of the race: the start and everything else after that. Like you got to get a good start. And Vince is a good starter. We know this, but you got to have a good engine. And he's had some good engines from you in the past. So, what's involved in this sucker, man? How long were you testing this thing? How long did you develop this? Like this is a new bike. Yeah. So this uh, this bike was a was a tough <clears throat> one because. We got really late, um, and uh, you know. So it, the first thing we had to do is figure out like what what did it need, like where is it lacking, um, and then try to figure out how to make it uh, better. So you know everything was delayed, pipes, you know clutches, just everything. So it was really hard to test. But the good thing is, is that I started testing with the 21 model and I learned a lot of things and maybe gave me a direction to go with the new one, even though it changed a fair bit, but it gave me an area to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I started. Uh, man, I, I, I have put an immense amount of work into that 250 motor. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think, uh, Even last year's motor you did too a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With Michael well, Lindsay's team, you did a lot. I know Carson was was talking shit on it a little bit, you know, without talking shit. But like, me and you even went out and I rode last year's engine. You had a spec, and I was like, "Oh, thing was good." So yeah, no, that's always the tough part, right? Is like, I mean, this is the tough part of my world is that uh, I think the riders will always say it's the bike, it's the bike, it's the bike, it's the bike. Well, it's not always the bike. I mean, we're helping for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rider's the one that turns the throttle, right? Yeah. Um, our job is to make it do what they want. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I always say there's, there's, there's two guys on a race team that are the punching bags, and that's usually the engine guy and the suspension guy. <laughs> that's right? true, fucking so true, dude. The suspension <laughs> right? guy gets it way more than the engine guy, though. I I think so. For me, I think once the season's rolling, the 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 shift becomes towards the suspension guy. He's the punching bag, but preseason <laughs> it's always the engine guy. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> uh, you guys are like sparring, well, sparring partners. Now you just get fucking beat up. Yeah, we're coming back from the track with black eyes. So how was your day? Oh, yeah, that was a rough one. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it but looks, yeah, it looks mean, really good, dude. Like He's been getting good starts. He, I've been watching practice a lot. And what I notice in the, in the world of Supercross, and for you riders out there, and you have a, a triple or a rhythm coming out of a corner, especially in the 250 class, you can tell which bikes are really good because – some guys will come out of a corner and have to seat bounce and stretch a rhythm or a triple. And then the the guys with good engines and, and good technique, I will say that, they will come out of the corner and be able to stand up and soak up the triple or stand up and get over the first three in on a rhythm easier than most. And Vince has that right now. I feel like Vince can roll his corners and he has enough juice to get him over some rhythms. Yeah, I think uh, Vince. Yeah, Vince has a good bike underneath him. Uh, you know, front to back suspension, motor. I think the motor is. I'm really happy with it this year, and I, I like the character of it. I like the character of this motor. 
on the 22 platform versus the 21 a lot better. Um, More front I side? I think it's... Uh, uh well i mean it started off with more front side yeah and and i didn't lose anything anywhere on that uh on that race end and i only gained so um yeah no it it's it's good all around um it's strong up top too and that was maybe it's its weakest point mm-hmm. yeah um, i would say and that, that and that and as an engine builder what's always really tough is to is to get all of that you know, for Supercross, the guys want the power really connected, but they want it there. Like, and when I mean there, as soon as they turn the throttle, that, that thing has to accelerate. And it's a really hard thing to get, especially with these modern 250s that just, they're built to rev. Right. Um, so it's hard to get that bottom end. Uh, but, you know, we, we've been working really hard with that one. I, I, and I think there's there's probably we could maybe squeeze a little bit more out of it when we're working on more more stuff at the moment but um yeah no it's, you know it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good is when he goes to a triple crown he's going to be Isn't good that this weekend is phoenix is it a triple crown this weekend no phoenix phoenix, phoenix. so vince in a 10 minute race is going to be really good dude yeah look vince is riding really good i would say his his whoop speed has gotten better yeah, um, that's his weakness I, right now. It is his weakness. I mean, and if you're comparing to Craig, Craig is exceptional through the whoops. Oh, uh, I mean, that's not even the right word. He, it's beyond that. I mean, he's going through the whoops faster than some of the 450 guys. It's actually, god, most it, of the 450 it's guys. It's godlike. Godlike. It's next. It's next level. So, I mean, and I've been I've been dealing with Vinny for a very long time, and it's always been the whoops that he's struggled with, but I, I will have to say he has gotten a lot better with them this year, especially <clears> because, you know, going from the 450 to the 250 with a 250, you have to commit. If you don't commit, you're not going to stay on top of them where the 450, you can kind of cheat it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can use the power to get back on top. And, uh, you know, even though the 250 makes a lot of power, uh, a lot more power than say the older generations, you know, it's still with the, the whoop sizes and how big they are, it's hard to, you know, get on top. So you have to commit and he has gotten better with it for sure. Honestly, I think, uh, he gets a bad rap. Obviously people know him as an aggressive rider. I don't think he's, I don't think he's worse than Barsha. I mean, he gave Craig a little bit of a, a hard time when Craig was working his way up through in San Diego, but, um, he was fighting for a podium, man. What do you want from the guy? Like people are like, Oh, that's bullshit. Like he was third place. There's a good bonus for him. I'm sure for third place. So, why would he just let Craig buy? It doesn't matter who the rider is. I love Craig. I'm a huge Craig fan. But if I'm in third, I'm going to try to roadblock, roadblock like a son of a bitch. And you knew, if you're Vince Freezy, you know he's coming because you can I-race from the other lane. You know he's gaining, gaining, gaining. And when he's there, you already know he's faster. So what are you going to do? You're going to make it very difficult to pass. So people need to calm well, down a little bit about Vince. He wasn't cross-jumping. He was shutting the door a lot and cross jump, or not and crossing over on the flat straight away. But he wasn't cross jumping. Well, what's interesting is that, um, yeah, I mean, it's a fine line. You got to remember these these riders. This is their paycheck. This right. is how they make their money. Exactly. Right. And the difference between a fourth place and a third place could be a significant amount Probably, of money. I mean, it could be twenty k easy right and and you gotta gotta remember supercross is what how many months three months yeah and you gotta get so they gotta make right 
and he's on a uh, Supercross only team, so he's got to make his money. Right. Um, now, that being said, what I've seen so far from Vince this year is uh, maybe a little bit more um, patience. Like, for example, at San Diego, he stood Craig up, but he didn't take him out. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause he was fighting for a position. Yeah. So, you know, if it was me in that, in that position, or if I was Craig, I, Craig would have done the same thing to him. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it's funny because Craig talked to him before the Anaheim one. Did you hear that? Yeah. Where he's like, <laughs> Hey, let's just keep it clean. <laughs> he's like, Hey bro, if I'm coming behind you, just, just chill, dude. Don't, don't take me out. Like, let's just be cool. And Vince says, yeah, no, we're cool. Cause Vince is a nice guy, dude. Like, People think he's an asshole or this persona about it, but he's a nice guy. He, he actually really is. Um, you know, it's just like anything. I, I, like over the years, I, t- you talk about takeouts. I've watched some of the takeouts happen from Anderson or, you know, Barsha. I mean, there's been spectacular, you know, right. guys have just, they've just cleaned them out. Um, you know, yeah, Vince has gotten a bad rap with it, but, uh, and I'm not trying to defend him or anything. I'm just, you know, I, I think that he's, he's got a, you know, a different take on this season because he's come from the 450 class to the 250 class and he really wants to do well and he wants to be, uh, to gain the respect of people. So I think he's racing, uh, racing smart and, and, and to go back to the whole cross jumping thing, you know, coming from a rider, you know, based here, like if you're leading a race, um, guys are cross jumping all over the place. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And sometimes people right? don't see too. Sometimes you get hooked in a rut and it makes you go left to right or whatever, you know? So there's a lot of things that are involved when you're on the machine versus in the stands. <laughs> sure. I mean, you're, you're trying to deal with a highly strung bike. That's trying to rip your arms out. And you're tired. Yeah. And you're tired. Get, yeah. The obstacles are massive. Like the, the San Diego whoops. I, I, there were so many crashes yeah, in the whoops over the weekend yeah. from top level guys, you know, it just, I yeah, asked, it's, it's gnarly. I asked Tony this. I don't know if you were there or not. I said, who was a better starter, Vince or Mike? And he actually said Vince. Uh, I would say I, I would probably agree with him. I think Vince has a, I think Vince is actually more adaptable to certain characters of the bike right because you know, look i've dealt with vince probably the longest on that team and i've watched him go from 250 to different models of 450 um and then back to 250 now and every bike has been so different even from the suzuki right mm-hmm. and he's always found a way to either set up the bike or technique wise to get starts. He's a thinker. Right? I feel like he, he thinks a lot. Yeah, no, he, he is a thinker and yeah. sometimes an overthinker. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I deal with him all the time and, and you're right. He is a constant thinker. Mm-hmm. He thinks a lot. Yeah. Um, but in, in some cases like starts, it benefits him because he, yeah, I mean, he figures it out. Right? Yeah. You wires know? it I up. Mean, so if, if I'm a consumer, cool. Hey man, I want to, I want a Vince freeze motor. Can I buy one? Can I buy everything uh, that's ev- can I buy oh can I buy that all, water pump everything. uh electric water pump cooler? You can. Okay. Uh we're working on trying to find a way that's like for example, I mean we're doing it on the Honda and some other bikes right now. I think 
some of the things so I say water pump, not cooler. I call it a cooler, like a dumbass. It's it's a water yeah, it's a water pump. Um an external water pump. There's there's some challenges with selling it just because you know, for the Honda example, like what we're doing on, we have to remove the the standard water pump in, in the bike, uh, because you can't use it. So obviously you have to take the right side cover off and you have to do that. And then wiring it to the bike. I mean, it's an electric water pump. So if someone said, I so, want a Vince Freeze engine, I'm bringing my bike to you, everything, you can do it. Yeah, providing that they're up with doing the maintenance um, and keeping it, you know, up and running. Because at the moment, just, just to put perspective in it, Vince's motor that we're running, racing, and keep in mind, this is a new motor. We're learning about it as we go. Every three hours, that motor is coming back to us to inspect it. We're not rebuilding it necessarily, but we're inspecting it, um, you know, to make sure like things are holding up and it's it's lasting. We're, we're keeping a close eye on it. So, sure. I mean, as long as people, uh, you know, are up for that, then, yeah, why not? They can get it. What's a ballpark on that sucker? Oof. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Look, in Vince's bike, there's a lot. There's a lot of custom stuff. So that that motor, that motor is in the eight to ten k range. Uh, well, that's not bad. Aiden, you know, did this pro circuit. You know, Mitch built a a consumer, and I'm doing air quotes while I'm talking to you. A consumer bike, right? That anybody can buy. If I went in and said I want a pro circuit bike, it's thirty fucking thousand dollars. I mean, that's the bike and yeah. everything else. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, yeah. $30,000. Well, I mean, you you look at some of these bikes, like Vince's 250. If if I had to just put some numbers together, I would say it's a $50,000, bike sitting there. Jesus. I mean, you look at suspension, clamps, yeah, wheels. Right. I mean, yeah, and that's everything. I mean, right? yeah. it, a bike, I mean, it adds up quick. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into these to make them do what they do. Right. Um, but the the great thing about racing and why I love to build motors for, for teams and riders and, and and that is that I get to learn, uh, what strengths, weaknesses are certain motors Mm -hmm. and, you know, and apply it to, you know, customers that want to uh, have some more power, like 250F or, you know, mm-hmm. 450s, it's more putting the character where they want. But we get to learn about that, right? Uh, and then we, you know, because what we always get is I want it fast, reliable, and cheap. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. We go, okay, we, hey, man, I want my get, suspension to hold up and be plush. You're like, oh, boy, here we go. Right. I mean, so, you know, racing and, and doing things like that, it helps us go, okay, well, Hey, we know we got to make this part stronger. If somebody's wanting it on the customer side, now keep in mind, these guys are pushing these bikes hard. Um, so if we're rebuilding uh, a race motor at 10, 20 hours, Mm -hmm. chances are for a guy that's not racing at that level, probably go 20 or 30 hours, you know, or longer is Vince a 10 hour engine or more. Um, so the reason why we're keeping an eye on it is just because it's a new motor. Yeah, it has been I proven believe, yet, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's new. I mean, we basically got it and just like 
we threw the, everything in the kitchen sink at it to, to make it do what we needed it to do to be competitive. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're learning about it as we go. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, um, there's, uh, there's a lot to still learn about it, you know, but I think it, it's a good solid bike for sure. All right. I'm going to throw this question on this last question and I'm out of here. You ready? I'm gonna, yeah, go I'm gonna drop this on you. You didn't know what I was oh, talking about this. Okay, so you're locked in as the engine builder for Smart Top Bullfrog Spa's Honda team. Would you take on more work? Could you? Like, let's say, and I don't even know your 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 contract with them. Are you are you proprietary to them? You only can work for them and no other team. Can you take on more work? Would you take on more work? Would you like to expand to other teams? How how what is that like? What is that about? Um, yeah, so I have no contract with MCR. Okay. Um, you know, I've just, we have a good working relationship and that's how it's been. And yeah, I'm open to, look, we work on everything. Right. I, I think, uh, I think we get pegged more for being like the Honda guys. Right. We do every brand. That's what I'm getting at. Like people go, Hey, you know, going to chat for Hondas, but no one says, Hey man, I'm going to go to Chad for a Kawasaki. Like, no one, we don't know because it's what we see on Saturday nights. You know, we, your name's attached to something. So that's what we brand you as just like Mitch and Kawasaki pro circuit. Like, Hey man, I got a new KX250. I'm going to get a pro circuit muffler because that's what's on the team. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, we, we, we do it all. And I'm open to working with teams and look, we do work with teams, but I would say quietly. I want to say, uh, for example, it was, uh, was it a year ago or maybe two years ago now we did stuff for Chad Reed, but we weren't allowed to say anything because, you know, he had his setup and, you know, we were cool with it. So, you know, there's that side of things where we, you know, we don't, we honor anyway. We, you know, people don't know, but yeah, no, we're always open for working with anybody, any teams. And, 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 and I guess the, the thing that we always get to is, um, Oh, I, I would have come to you, but I, I, I thought you just worked on factory bikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, we are, a, you know, yeah, okay, we're a race shop, but we are a race shop and we do stuff for everybody. Um, you know, uh, it's it's what we've always done. All right. Well, that's it's all good stuff. It's all deadly. One, one hour and 30 minutes. So we thought we were going to do a 45-minute pod and look what happens. I thought you said thirty. You said thirty. Uh, it's only take thirty. That's minutes how. That's I how laugh. I bait you to do the podcast. Is I say I say thirty, but I really meant forty-five. <laughs> no, nah, I mean you're you're not baiting me. I mean honestly, I, I I I really like talking about this stuff, and and it's the same thing when I get calls from customers. People are surprised that I answer the phone and I'm the one talking to them. It's like, well, I want to give them the knowledge, and I want them to know where my standpoint and how my beliefs are. So. Look, yeah, I'm going to tell you something just from my personal experience. That's why I started Kiefer Inc. Because uh, personal attention is gone nowadays in our society and our businesses and and in our media world and motorcycling. So it's nice to be able to share information and talk to people that listen to your show, that, that read your stuff, or that enjoy your work that, hey, you know, I want to talk to the guy that's going to do my fucking work. I'm going to spend $4,000 with this guy. If I can't fucking talk to him, what am I going to, why am I spending my money with him? You know? Right. Uh, yeah. Look, I try to, 
I try to talk to as many people as I can, but honestly, I still have to get work done too. Correct. But I always try to give time to people um, and answer their questions. I'm not a great email guy. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you know, phone and and text and and you know, uh, emails when I can. You're not. But, you're not a hugger. Yeah, I mean, you're, I, you don't like to hug. You don't like to hug. Not a hugger. Not a hugger. I'm uh, definitely not a hugger. Uh, but you know. I don't. I don't care if I talk to you. I'll just call your your, your wife. Answers the phone. I'll talk to your wife. Yeah. No. She's she's good too. She's actually pretty knowledgeable. She's gained a lot of knowledge over the years too. So yeah. All yeah. Right. Family business, right? Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. It's great. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I think we covered a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, what's your phone number? Just in case people want to know it. Actually, go to xprmotorsports.com, Correct. Yeah. Go there. Every all the info's there. All it's there. All right. Well, thanks, Chad. I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you at the track soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Cheers. See ya.